there, there's a man here who I have uh, publicly uh, said thank you to uh, a while back. Uh, ran into him at a restaurant, and when I was in high school, uh, I got involved with FCA and went to an FCA camp, and uh, our band director was uh, the FCA leader. And uh, it was a camp in Mariana, Florida. And a, a man by the name of R.V. Brown was there preaching the gospel. And that man is here on the fourth row in the blue shirt right there. And I want to say, I've said it before, I want to say thank you, R.V., for your faithfulness to the gospel all your many years. And uh, thank you for that. And it, was at, it was at that camp that uh, I gave my life uh, to, to my sins forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ and committed my life to him. A, a while back, we were at uh, Jason's Deli, and he and his family were there. And I had a chance to uh, introduce him to my family and just say, thank you. And I have a wife that loves the Lord, and I have two children that love the Lord. And, and God has used your obedience in proclaiming the gospel. And I say that just to challenge you. We never know what God is up to. We never know how God is using our obedience. We may never even see it. RV may not have ever known what God was doing in my life back in the 90s in Mariana, Florida, of all places. Don't tell about that. That was a long time ago, huh? That tells them my age. It tells you your age even more, huh? But you're bigger than me, so I'm not going to... Uh, I remember thinking, part of me was thinking, if that man needs the Lord, we all need the Lord. That's a big man. <laughs> Big man, but uh, I just want to say thank you publicly. Thank you for your obedience. This man has been very faithful to proclaim the gospel and uh, uh, stood the test of time and was unmoved, unwavering, and I appreciate that. So Psalm 22, we are continuing our study in the Psalms, and today we're going to look at Psalm 22 briefly before we partake the Lord's Supper. And again, we're doing some things differently today. We're, we're going to worship through a study of the Word we're going to partake of these elements that give a picture of what we're going to look at today, and then we're going to worship through song. And this psalm begins, to be sure, David wrote this psalm. It's, it's believed to be sure David is going through something physically. But this psalm points way beyond what David is going through physically. It, it begins with the anguish of the cross, but it ends with the glory of the cross, a resurrected Lord, sin, death, defeated. There's only two thing, two things that I want. Is there's 31 verses. We're not going to dissect all 31 as much as I'd love to. Uh, we are not going to be here for long. Some of you, this may be your favorite sermon I've ever done because it'd probably be the shortest. Uh, we're, we're, I, I understand. I fully understand. I go long sometimes. But before us, we have a picture not only of the darkness of the cross, but also the glory. Of the cross. The sufferings of Christ followed by the glorification of Christ. And, and oh, for grace that, that just today we would put away every distraction and we would draw near and see what our Lord went through on our behalf, what He gave up for our behalf, what He was put through on our behalf. I pray that we would read it reverently. I pray that we would be like Moses and feel like we should take off our shoes when we read this. Because our Lord, 
the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he died where we deserve to die. So first I want to see it in verses 1 through 21. I want to help us see the darkness of the cross. If you have your hand out there, the darkness of the cross. The psalm, this psalm is a psalm of the cross. It's entirely possible, entirely possible that our Lord and Savior said some of these very words, if not this entire psalm, while hanging on a cross. It's possible that the thieves next to Jesus on that cross heard this psalm quoted prior to Jesus' death. It begins, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you look at Matthew 27, you see those very words spoken by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in verse 46. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This psalm captures for us the, our Lord's saddest hours, the record of His dying words. David and his afflictions, to be sure, David and his afflictions are here. David is probably being pursued by Saul. It's probably in that time that he penned this. But no individual in the Old Testament suffered to the extent of what is written here in this psalm other than our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There was no situation in recorded in Scripture where David went through trials to the degree that are recorded in Psalm 22 things that prophetically are applied directly to Christ. Christ fulfills this psalm perfectly. Psalm 22 is quoted seven times in the New Testament. Every time it's quoted, it's quoted in reference to Jesus Christ. He fulfilled this psalm. This psalm points way beyond what David is going through, and it points to a day when God is going to put His very Son on a cross to die for the sins of the entire world. David is taking us here way beyond himself, and he is looking at his Savior. The reality is that David is describing a crucifixion, but the fact is that it didn't even exist in the day that David is describing this. David is describing something way beyond himself. God himself has taken David beyond himself and he's describing for us the death that our Lord and Savior is going to die. That the payment that he's going to pay. So in order for us to truly grasp what is written here in this psalm, we've got to go beyond David and look to the cross. We've got to leave David's experience and, and focus on David's son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Get, get through David, look through David, look beyond David and fix your eyes as we speak today, fix your eyes on the cross. Fix your eyes on our Savior who hung on a cross for you and for me and the sins of the whole world. It, it describes a death by crucifixion here. It describes what Jesus went through a thousand years before it was ever written. And the beauty here is that David never saw the cross, and yet David did see the cross. David sees it as clearly as Matthew saw it, as clearly as Mark saw it, as clearly as Luke, as clearly as John. David sees it as clearly as Paul. Though it was not even a reality, David saw his Messiah crucified. 
through, through the marvelous inspiration of the Holy Spirit, through, through, the, through the mind of God looking down, speaking through David centuries before, David is given insight into the cross. What we see here is a picture of what our salvation cost the Savior. We may never be able to fully or truly comprehend what that cost was, but we are giving a glimpse in this psalm of what my salvation, and if you've applied the blood of Jesus Christ to your life, what your salvation cost our Savior, what He endured on our behalf. The only, the only proper response is to bow and worship. The only response is to submit ourselves to Him who loved us enough to die on our behalf. No greater love is He than this, than He laid down His life for His brother. Jesus laid down His life for His enemies. But we will never really understand, the, 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 have no clue of the agony, the extreme agony Jesus felt having been forsaken by His Father. Perfect fellowship with the Father, and now He's forsaken. The, 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 he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. I, oh my God, I cry, day, but you do not answer, and by night I have no rest. Can you imagine what Jesus felt in that moment when his God had to turn his back because the sins of the world were resting upon his shoulders? The wrath of God was being poured out on his own son. I, I can't imagine the wrath God felt just towards my sin. Never mind the sins of the whole world. Jesus Christ, in perfect fellowship with His Father, steps out of heavens, takes on flesh, and is forsaken by His Father. For you and for me. He's left to die the most gruesome, agonizing death anyone has known. I, I, I debated describing it. It's gruesome. It's gruesome. To go from knowing no sin to having the weight of the sin of the entire world placed upon your shoulders. Unthinkable. Unthinkable. It, it, as I thought about that this week, I thought it's impossible for me to even remotely try to understand the weight of that because I've never enjoyed perfect fellowship. Though I'm redeemed from my sin, I still battle with sin. From all eternity, that was not an issue with Jesus. Perfect fellowship. What it must have been like to bear the weight in the entire world, to have your father turn his back because he could not look upon sin. And notice how Jesus deals with it. Look at verse 3. He says, David says this, but also Jesus in, 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 a, you know, in the future would, would say the same thing. Yet you are holy. O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel, David says, in you our fathers trusted. They have trusted you and you delivered them. God, but not only God, I mean David, but not only David, Jesus himself deals with this with two ways God's character and God's faithfulness. He looks at God's character and he looks at God's faithfulness. Feeling rejected, despised, he looks at God's character and he looks at his faithfulness. Ever and always, for the sake of God, those two things remove any doubt as to what God is doing. 
His character and His faithfulness. Any trial, any trouble, any anxiety for which we have no immediate answer, the answer is this. You are holy. You are good. I may not understand what you're doing. I may not comprehend it, David is saying, but you're good, God, and I'll trust you. His character. But not only that, His faithfulness. He, he affirms that, hey... I understand you, Jesus would have understood why God had to pull himself apart, how, why he had to turn his back at that moment, because he could not look upon our sin. And yet, he also reaffirms God's faithfulness, that having never forsaken, though he felt forsaken, God has never once forsaken his people. In Hebrews, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's faithful. Even when we don't understand it, even when we don't feel it, even when we don't know, He's faithful. And, and there is a lesson for us to be learned here in great trials. When we face trials, when we face times in our life when it seems that we have been forsaken by God, you can always trust two things, God's character and His faithfulness. You look to the cross. At the cross, God took the worst thing that could ever happen in the world, God Himself dying, and He did the greatest thing that would ever happen in the world, God dying for my sins and for your sins. His character and His faithfulness. And He trusted Him. You can always go back to these two truths and find comfort no matter what we face. We can have confidence that, that in a God who is, and what He has done throughout generations, we can look back to that and we can trust that. That's why reading the Bible is so important. That's why studying this Word, so that we understand His character and His faithfulness. Jesus Himself, David Himself, cried for deliverance from death. Jesus Himself on the cross says, Is there any way that this cup can pass from me? In His flesh, He's asking that question. He knew this was the mission, this was the reason He came, was to die for the sins of the world, yet in His flesh He's saying, is there any way that this cup can pass? Yet He was not delivered. He was crucified. And instead of being delivered, He went through death and was delivered unto resurrection. Again, how awful it must have been for our Savior to have enjoyed perfect fellowship with the Father, and yet have His Father turn His back, to have His Father say no to His request. Look specifically at verses 14 through 18, a, a picture of, of the crucifixion, and we'll see that. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws. And you lay me in the dust of, the de of death. For dogs have surrounded me, a band of evildoers have encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. You can go to John 19, 33, fulfilled prophecy. Not a single bone in Jesus' body would be broken. It was very typical that they would break the bones of, of those crucified, and yet they did not break a single bone of Jesus' body. They divide my garments among them. They did that. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Look, this is the cross. Look with me in Isaiah. Flip over to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. You're going to need to turn there in your Bibles. Just turn over a few books to the right from Psalms. 
I want to read this, a picture, a very graphic picture of the crucifixion. I, I want us to understand the weight of what our Savior did for us. Isaiah writes, Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we look, should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquities of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for this, his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he, he was with the rich man in his death. Because he has done no violence, nor there was any deceit found in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper his hands. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. That's a picture of what Jesus Christ did for us. If you look over in Isaiah 52, 14, it says that Jesus' appearance was so marred that he was unrecognizable. He's unrecognizable. It, 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 he, he did that for us. You look over to Matthew 27, another clear picture just showing you that, that ultimately this is pointing to the Messiah. Matthew 27 Verses 27 through 50, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus in the praetorium and gathered the whole Roman cohort around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And after twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and, and, and a reed in his right hand. And they knelt down before him and mocked, and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! They spat on him. They took the reed and began to beat him on the head. After they mocked him, they took the scarlet robe off of him, put his own garments back on, and led him away to crucify him. As they were coming out, they found a man of Cyrene named Simon, whom they pressed into service to bear his cross. When they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, they gave him 
wine to drink mixed with gall, and after tasting it, he was unwilling to drink. And when they had crucified him, they divided up his garments among themselves by casting lots. We just saw that. And sitting down, they began to keep watch over him there. And above his head, they put a charge against him, which reads, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. At that time, two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads, saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him now come down from the cross, and, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he delights in him. For he said, I am the Son of God. The robbers who had been crucified with him were also insulting him with the same words. Now it was the sixth hour, darkness fell upon the land in the ninth hour, until the ninth hour. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama, sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of those who were standing there, when they heard it, began saying, The man is calling for Elijah. Immediately one of them ran, taking a sponge. He filled it with sour wine and put it to the reed and gave him a drink. But the rest of them said, Let us see whether Elijah will come save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Vivid picture. And the thing that hurts most, that haunts me most, is that my sin put him there. But also the love of God put him there. And in this psalm and in these other passages, we must see the greatness not only of our own sin, but the greatness of Christ's love. My sin put Jesus on the cross, yet His love made Him willing to go there. Romans 5, 8, But God demonstrates His own love in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And this is where I think, this is where I want us to go today. When we take these elements, we need to make it personal. I, I want you to make the cross personal. I, I want you to fill in the blank. Jesus didn't die for sins, just die for sins. He died for my sins. It was my sins that put him there. It was my sin that caused him to go through everything that we saw today despised forsaken, to have been sinless and to become sin for us, to be beaten, to be spat upon, to be mocked. That was my sin. See, it's easy for us to, to generalize our sin and, and realize that, hey, we all sinned and, and Jesus died for the sins of the world. And, and hear me, that is true, but there's a danger there. Because in some way, it, it, it normalizes it. We're just like everybody else. Everyone's doing it. No, no, he died for my sins, not, not just the sins of the world. When I think of just everybody, I, I think it also becomes easy for me to think that I'm not as bad as others. Maybe I didn't, my sins weren't as bad as somebody else's. We start to compare, pride creeps in, but the more I grow as a Christian, 
the more I discover how utterly wicked my heart is. How utterly huge my sin debt is. And the way to holiness, the way to godliness, the way to truly appreciate the cross is not by thinking I'm less of a sinner than I am. That's not the path. It's not thinking more highly of myself, but rather realizing just how sinful I am. Which causes me to cling to the cross even more tightly. Because Jesus died for my sins. The cross is where I receive God's mercy. The, the cross is where I receive God's forgiveness of my sin. And the greater I realize my sin is, the more I treasure the cross. There is a great danger in minimizing our sinfulness. In minimizing our sinfulness. If you think you were a good person, if you think your sins were few, if you think God just needed to give you a little bump over the, over the hump just to get you over the edge, you will not love Jesus much. You will not love Him much. Luke 7, 47, He says, He who is forgiven little loves little. If we think our sin debt was small, we will respond by loving Jesus small. We will respond by worshiping Jesus small. But when we realize the depth of our sin and the gravity of our sin and the weight of our sin, the fact that it was personalized, we'll worship. When we realize we could never pay that penalty ourselves, we could never pay that debt off ourselves, and yet Jesus paid it for us. If you recognize the truth that you're lost in your rebellion against God, that He saved you from hell in spite of your awful sin, and you take these elements and you take sin personal, you make it personal that your sin put Him on the cross, that you've been forgiven much, you'll worship much. You'll love much. Personal. This week I read a quote by, by Spurgeon. It said this, He who has stood before his God convicted and condemned with the rope about his neck is the man to weep for joy when he is pardoned, to hate the evil which has been forgiven him, and to live to the honor of the Redeemer by whose blood he has been cleansed. Make it personal. Don't just put yourself in one of many. Make it personal. I want you to stand before the Lord yourself. Have you stood before the Lord yourself and have you taken the blood that He poured out on Calvary and you applied it to your life? Have you been honest about the weight and the, the, the debt of your sinfulness and had it wiped away? I want you to make it personal today. I want to make it personal. When we take these elements in a moment, it was your sin, it was my sin for which His body was broken and pierced for which the blood was poured out. It was my sin. Not just sin in general, it was my sin. That's the darkness of the cross. But you also see in this psalm pictures of the glory of the cross. There's redemption. Look at verse 22. I will tell of your name. In verse 21 it says, he, you answer me. There's a change. He's gone from having been forsaken to now he's being answered. He says, I will tell of your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. Do you see the, you see the results of seeing what God has done? Praise. 
He says, you who fear the Lord, praise Him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify Him. And stand in awe of Him. All you descendants of Israel. For He has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has He hidden His face from Him. But when He cried for Him for help, He heard. Hebrews says, we do not have a high priest who is unsympathetic or doesn't understand what we go through, but he was afflicted in every single way that we were afflicted. We have a high priest who can sympathize. We worship a, 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 the one true God who can sympathize. He can sympathize. He understands what it's like. Something, the something that changed dramatically, scholars will tell you there was praise where there was pain, and the fact that changed everything was, was David has been somewhat redeemed, but ultimately Christ was redeemed. His offering of the sacrifice of the cross was received. It was accepted by Jesus, by the Lord, and he was raised from the dead. He was resurrected. And now the grief is turned to praise. The mourning is turned to worship. Not only in David's life, but also for us who have trusted in Jesus Christ. There is praise where there once was pain. It's the resurrection. You do not see it specifically mentioned, but everything that we see here in verses 22 through 31 point to the resurrection and what it accomplished. That one day God's kingdom will be established here on earth. We will live forever. The poor will be taken care of. The mourning will be turned to, to laughter. All those things. Millennial kingdom stuff. Death has been conquered. Sin has been defeated. Jesus reigns forever. The payment has been made for sin and God has deemed it acceptable. It's acceptable. Satisfied. The biblical world is propitiation. To, to pay fully the debt, the sin debt, paid full. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. Why? Because His work is finished. Salvation's work is completed, and it's completed in Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. He has risen victoriously. Death has been defeated. Jesus, Jesus Himself, not only that, but David, but Jesus Himself sees the blessing of fellowship between man and God that has been established and made right again through the cross. Man and God through the cross have been reconciled. Jesus sees that and is, and is praising. There's a blessing there. One of Jesus' first words after the cross, when He's been res resurrected, you can go to the disciples, it was what? Go to the brethren. Go tell them the good news of what has been accomplished. Just like it says here in Psalm 22, we too are to praise Him by what? Telling others the good news. We who are sinners separated from God can now have fellowship with God. We are to proclaim His name in all the earth, just like you see here. Look at verse 22, 23, we just read it. 27, at the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations will worship before you. Verse 30, posterity will serve Him. It will be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They will come and will declare His righteousness to a people who He born that He has performed it. 
1992, R.V. Brown, sitting in Mariana, Florida, is proclaiming that truth. And a little guy, a little nobody named Chris Basham, by the grace of God, applied the blood of Jesus Christ to his life. 20, 21 years later, who would have known? We're here to proclaim the greatness of what God has done. We exist to glorify our Father. We are here on this earth to bring glory to our Father by telling the good news of salvation and what He has done in putting His Son on a cross. That is why we're here. To bring glory and honor to our Father. We do this through good times. We do this through bad times. God is worthy of praise in the good times and He is worthy of praise in the bad times. And I do not say that lightly knowing what many of us are going through. But it's true. He is always worthy of praise. And we are to proclaim His name to the ends of the earth. We are to be thankful for what Jesus has accomplished. Look at verses 25 and 26. From you comes my praise in the great assembly, David says. I shall pay my vows before those who fear him. The afflicted will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. These are pictures of a Hebrew thank offering. When God answered his prayers, a worshiper would offer a thanks offering at the temple. The poor would be invited there. They would be fed. They would eat. They would be satisfied. It's, excuse me, it's a picture of the coming kingdom. In the same way, we have a feast of thanksgiving right here before us, the Lord's Supper. We are doing this to memorial, to, to, in remembrance of what Jesus done, to say thank you for dying for my sins. When we take this, we are saying thank you. We are worshiping by saying thank you for God's great gift of salvation. That is why we are here to offer praise, thankfulness for what God has done. And may we individually, but also as a church, put the cross at the center of our lives. Help us to make it personal. You say, why? Because focusing on the cross keeps me aware of my sinfulness. So that I don't trust myself, but instead I cling to Christ. I don't, I'm not trying to earn my salvation. I'm not thinking I'm doing... I am doing everything out of the thankfulness of what God has first done for me. I'm not bartering with God. I'm not twisting His arm. I'm not trying to buy His allegiance. I'm responding to what He has done. But focusing on the cross also helps me resist the temptation as I remember that I was redeemed with nothing less than Jesus' blood. I had no part of it. For grace you are saved and not of works, lest any man would boast. God has set up salvation in such a way that man can not boast. It's all praise to God. We are here today to remember not only our sinfulness and what it cost our Savior, but what our Savior did for us. And the greatest truths of the gospel have always been meant to create the greatest praise for our Savior. We're here to praise Him. We worship as an expression of what God has done on our accord. We're here to say thank you. We are accepted through Jesus Christ and nothing else. Jesus Christ.
And then this is the glory of this psalm in summary, the wonderful truths of the gospel that an all-powerful, all-knowing God of this universe has made you and me in His image, to bear His image, and yet we turned our backs and we sinned. We chose to trust self rather than Him. We chose to trust the world rather than Him. But God, rich in mercy, sent His Son to die on a cross to pay the penalty that you and I deserve to pay. That's what this psalm proclaims. We deserve to die, and Christ died instead. In sin, we were enemies of God, deserving wrath and punishment. We were hated by God. Yet through faith in Christ's work on the cross, we can be set free, redeemed, forgiven, reconciled. All through the blood of Jesus. We go from being an enemy to being a son. That's a marvelous exchange. Marvelous exchange. I challenge you today. Repent and believe upon Jesus Christ and His work on the cross. Not your own. And in doing so, you can be saved forever from the penalty of your sins. Your sins can be forgiven. I pray that if we, as we take these elements, only believers are to take these elements. And I pray that as you take these elements, I pray that you'll make it personal. I pray that as you come up with your family and you go back and are seated, that you'll make it personal, that you'll hold that in your hand and you'll say, it was my sin that caused Jesus to die. My sin. If you're not believing that today, I I pray that God would work in your heart by watching these other believers as they come up and give thanks one by one to God. I pray that God would use that in your own heart to move you to repent of your sinfulness and trust Jesus Christ alone. But make it personal. Jesus didn't die for just anybody's sins. He died for your sins. And He died because of your sins and because of mine. So as we take these elements... Think and look to the cross. Hey, Daniel, will you go get the kids and have them start coming back in? I want them to take it with you as well. And as you take these, think about the cross. Think about what Jesus accomplished on your behalf. We deserve death, and yet we get eternal life. What an exchange. We were enemies, and yet we were made sons. What a swap. Amazing grace. And I pray, as just as David did, but also as Jesus Christ did, that we will praise God for the great things He has done.